A year ago, this coming Sunday, Michael Packard, 56, was diving off the coast of Massachusetts with his friends. He did this regularly, lobster fishing, had a boat, people down about 45 feet underwater and their full diving equipment. Routine type of a day for him. And all of a sudden, he was hit by something so powerful, it caused him to spin. And then everything went completely dark. And then he got tossed around. And he realized he was inside something, a fish. At first, he thought it was a great white, but he didn't feel any teeth penetrating his skin. And then all of a sudden, he moved around, was tossed around, and then felt himself go up, 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 which for most divers, that's not good to do quickly. And feeling himself coming up, he was tossed about again and shot out of the whale's mouth, right in front of his friends. You can imagine that 911 call. People are not going to believe this. And throughout history, we've heard stories of people being swallowed by whales or great fish and living to tell about it. So this isn't so unusual except of all the other events that come with it with Jonah. I believe that it's not just allegory or fiction. I believe these are real events. I think for many reasons that we talked about last week. But this whole story of Jonah is, is so filled with drama and fear. And we talked about fear last week and the negative impact that the fear of man has on us and the freedom and the joy and peace that comes when we have the fear of the Lord. There is a big difference. Well, when we get to the end here of chapter 1 and start into chapter 2, we continue this, what we call, cycle of fear. And it really comes in, in three stages. We're going to see a scene of distress, a scene of desperation when Jonah is calling out to God, and then finally a scene of deliverance. Now, these events are God working in the life of some, someone we've never met, but we can identify with being a follower of God and maybe not wanting to do what he, he wants us to do. You live your life, and there are going to be things that you know God wants you to do, and you're struggling with doing it. And so Jonah decided, I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord, which is a very difficult thing to do. And we have found this, that God's not going to let you, if you're his child, he is not going to let you do that. And he will pursue you with justice and mercy. It flows out of his character. So these three scenes, distress, desperation, deliverance. Scene one is distress. And I think like when I read the article and watched the video of Michael Packard, he was saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, there's no way out, I'm going to die. I'm sure that is what Jonah is feeling. We left 
the scene last week where the sailors hurled him overboard. <laughs> and you can imagine that the storm is raging. They're having these conversations. Whose fault is this? And of course, in that kind of culture, they're always trying to fix a blame on some, someone for causing this. They realized that this was a prophet of God. He was fleeing the Lord, and he was to blame. And Jonah said, well, throw me overboard, and the storm will stop. And that's exactly what happened. They hurled him overboard. The effect on the sailors was we went from an incredible life-threatening storm to calm. And that was part of what caused them to turn from worshiping their gods to the true God. Now, if you're Jonah, you're now out in the water. They're probably not going to pull you back in. And Jonah is now thinking, I want to die anyway. Just let me die. But there is fear with him. Maybe, but I can only imagine how much time lapsed between him hitting the water and the great fish swallowing him. But there may have been a time where he's looking around for a plank or a board. Uh, life raft probably not existing <laughs> at that time. No one's going to be throwing him a life preserver. But he's thinking, this is the end. The end of my life. And he is completely distressed. And he has no idea what's coming next, which will further distress him. He is swallowed by a great fish. From what we know today, most likely a whale. But dreadful enough as it is to float in the sea, more dreadful now to be swallowed by a great fish. Jonah 1.17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, three days and three nights could uh, mean parts of three days. Of course, it did with Christ. Um, it's kind of a general term. But um, he was a, it, the better part of three days in the belly of this fish that God had appointed. Isn't it amazing how he appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh? He didn't go. He appointed the storm, and he appointed the fish. And all of these are actions that flow out of the character that we're learning about God. Because I like, whenever you're reading the scripture, ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm learning about God? And this is what we see. He is incredibly merciful. But if you're running away from him, he's not going to let you just keep running. He loves you too much for that. In the belly of the fish going down, 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 down. And you sense the utter helplessness and hopelessness. In his distress, and he goes on in his prayer in chapter 2 to describe it this way. And I'm not going to give the reference on each one of these, but let me just list these for you. As he is going down, he says, down into the belly of Sheol. And Sheol is like the place of death. So I'm going down, down into Sheol, 
the flood that surrounds me, the waves that billow past over me. I am driven from God's sight. The weeds are wrapped around my head. Can you imagine that? Being in the dark, weeds, slimy weeds all around your head. And then he says, the roots of the mountain. So what I imagine is there's probably soft, slimy weeds and there's rough, like branch weeds surrounding him. He is confined in the dark, cannot see, and he's going down in the belly of a fish. The bars upon me closed forever. So it's like a prison latched shut. And he says, my life was fainting away. Many of the Psalms that you read will read like this. In Psalm 88, verse 3, it says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. You ever felt that way? I don't think any of us have been in this kind of situation, but we have felt this way. We have felt this way. It's hard for me to imagine what it would be like to be helpless and hopeless. I think back to a memorable experience for me when I was a small boy and before I knew how to swim. We're out at my friend's house. They had a pond kind of a small lake, and of course, if you get enough pride, even as a young boy, not to admit you can't swim. So everybody's out there swimming in the pond, and I'm out there too, you know, bouncing off the bottom, pretending like I'm swimming, because <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed by that. And I'm just kind of, you know, laughing, and a little bit of nervous laughter, and I'm bouncing around, and all of a sudden, I hit a hole, and I go underwater. The last thing, I remember the last thing I saw were people up on the shore looking at each other, not at me. That's the last thing I saw. And then I saw my mother and my father, (laughs) and I saw all those that love me, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Now, fortunately, someone saw me, jumped in, pulled me out. I didn't try to act quite as cool (laughs) about that, but I remember how terrified I was. And I remember it to this day. So if someone asks me, what's the most terrifying moment you've had? Uh, That's that's up there. Because not only did I feel like I'm going to die, I'm going to drown, no one saw me, and there is nothing that I can do. Helpless and hopeless in distress. And of course for Jonah, much worse. The darkness, the smell, being closed in, no way out. When we talk about fear in this distress, it blinds us and it binds us. Fear does. Fear of man. It removes all joy that we have, all hope. 
but we know this, that God is at work in Jonah's life. God sees Jonah. Jonah doesn't see anything right now. <laughs> see, how strong is his faith? I doubt that it's real strong. But God is coming after Jonah. He is not going to let him continue. But notice, he does not punish Jonah. God does not punish his children. I want you to remember that. God does not punish his children. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ and you are a child of God, the punishment for all of your sin was taken care of on the cross of Christ. All of the punishment for everything you've ever done that you will ever do was put on Christ and he bled it out and died and paid the price for that. So for him to punish you again for something you do or did, I think they call that double jeopardy. He doesn't do that. But he will correct you. He will correct you. A loving father, a loving mother will correct their children. And so sometimes we get this confused, which isn't a, isn't a good thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is from the, he's quoting now from the book of Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Now, I still remember my dad telling me, I'm doing this because I love you. <laughs> and you know, I knew my dad loved me. I look back on that now and I think, you know, I just praise God for a dad like that to express that love and correcting me, not punishing me. You think back to the 23rd Psalm. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's the most beautiful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. And it talks about your rod and your staff. They comfort me. What, what is a rod and staff used for? <laughs> a rod, staff, is for correction. I don't think any of us like being poked or nudged or pushed, do we? But the shepherd cares for the sheep lovingly in that way. Now read this here, the series of appointments. Today we read about the, he appointed a great fish. He appointed the storm, the calm, the fish, and then he appointed the fish to vomit him out on the dry land. And here's what in the prayer Jonah says to the Lord, for you cast me into the deep. 
You cast me into the deep. I don't think it was like that. But sometimes we can get like that. A couple things on that. Well, I thought, the, I thought the sailors cast him into the deep. And that's true. The sailors picked him up and hurled him into the ocean. But so why does Jonah say, you, God, cast me into the deep? And actually into the deep, meaning into the pit of this great fish's belly. Because God is sovereign over all things. And, you know, you're, you're here and... Sailors are doing this to you, but over this, over everything in life is a sovereign God who will only allow to happen to you what he wants to happen. Nothing can ever happen to you that God does not permit for your good and for the advancement of his glory. That's a very comforting thought. Now, sometimes we, we can get to the point, and I've gotten to this place, too, where I get frustrated with God. You say, I don't get angry with God. Sometimes I get angry with God because I don't understand why he's allowing this to happen to me. What have I done? David uses that phrase many times in the Psalms. What have I done? And so if, if God is loving and kind and gracious and wants me to be in heaven with him someday, how can a loving God allow this to happen to me or to anyone else? And I can't give you an answer for every situation because I'm not God. But I do know this, that he is true to his character of always doing what's right, just, and he's always merciful. And if we, anyone who calls out to him, he will answer. And that's what we come out from to the next point. From distress to desperation. So the distress is internal. It, 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 is, it is when we are so at loss, so, so weak and helpless and so hopeless with our lives, this distress turns to an outward expression of desperation. And it's a prayer from the belly of a fish. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. This desperate cry expresses his need. And then he goes on from verse 2 to verse 9. If you'll, you, you look at this passage and what I've tried to do is just kind of put these together and go through them. He does several things in his prayer. Now, for me, when I get to this kind of place, I just say, help. <laughs> it's like, help. It's not like a, when I'm, when I'm at my lowest points, when I'm at my most desperate place, when I am at, at, at um, discouraged beyond expression, sometimes I can't even form the words, help. I don't pray, O thou that sittest upon the rim of the universe, I beckon thee to come into my presence. No, no, it's just like help, help. And Jonah does several things in this prayer, and I don't want to be too hard on Jonah because, you know, it's always easy to look back on other people and say, well, yeah, you should have done this and should have done this. If I were there, I would. No, you probably would have done worse. But 
it's, it's interesting what he says in his prayer. First, he quotes scripture. Is that a good thing, quoting scripture? I think so. I mean, when you quote scripture, you're speaking truth back to God and anchoring your prayer. Um, he makes vows and makes promises to seek the Lord at his temple. Now, I think a lot of people could make vows. God, I promise if you get me out of this, <laughs> I'll never do that again. Or, God, if you get me out of this, I'll be a missionary or I'll join a convent. <laughs> um, but he makes promises to God. Quoting scripture, promises to God. He promises to make sacrifices when he gets out. He acknowledges God by name, calling him, oh, Lord, my God. He personalizes it. He denounces idolatry. He speaks of God's steadfast love. And he voices thanksgiving to God. In the end, he says, and declares salvation or deliverance. Salvation belongs to God. And all God's people said, Amen. What a magnificent prayer. <clears throat> and to me, it's loaded with just a lot of good stuff. You notice anything missing? See, a lot of times <clears throat> when you read through something, it's not what they say, it's what they don't say. Something is missing. There is no confession of sin. And there is no repentance. So you think that's important? Now, I, I believe we're, we're talking here about someone who's related to God, not an unbeliever. I believe repentance and forgiveness Confessing your sin are necessary to become a Christian. You need to admit you need him. You need to admit you've sinned and ask for his forgiveness. But here we're talking about a follower, okay? So he doesn't say, Lord, you told me to do this, and I did this, and I'm going to ask, I confess that to you, and I ask you to forgive me for this, and I will do what you want me to do. Repentance is basically, it means literally a change of mind. And it always results in a change of behavior. So God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. <laughs> he goes down to Joppa. I'm going all the way to Tarshish. And he gets stuck here. Where is he? Well, if a God in his justice and mercy is bringing him back to the belly of this fish, and he cries out to God, he does not say, Lord, forgive me for trying to run from your presence. I was wrong in doing that. I confess that. Have you ever been around a, someone, and you may be like this, who can never admit they're wrong? I see people nodding their heads here. They can never admit they're wrong. Which means they never apologize, which means they never get things right. Now, why don't we admit when we're wrong, when we know we're wrong? Pride, fear, insecurity. But let me tell you this. 
When I cannot admit that I'm wrong and make it right, I cannot have healthy relationships. Can't. You just never can have healthy relationships. You can pretend. A lot of people will just handle it this way. They'll just say, well, I'm just not going to bring it up again. Or they'll go buy you something or do something nice for you or just act like nothing happened. That relationship is never the best it can be until confession, repentance, forgiveness take place. It's that way with God in our walk with him. And it's that way with each other. Now, it's stupid to think I can fool God. He, he's, see, he's seen everything. He knows exactly what I did. And you really don't fool one another either because people know what you did. They know you're at fault. Say, so, well, if I just wait long enough, it'll go away. People forget. People don't forget that. It needs to get resolved. So we've got issues at the heart level. You know, we're, we're physical beings, and his physical body is in the belly of a fish. <laughs> we got a problem. Okay, we've got a 911 call going straight to God from the fish. We also have a heart problem. This is God's great concern. He does care about Jonah's body, but he also cares about his heart. I say typical prayers that you read in the Lord's Prayer, great model, or we call the model prayer in Matthew 6, or in David's prayer. David, all of David's prayers in the Psalms will follow similar patterns. And I've, I've used this acrostic, it's not original with me, but um, A-C-T-S, Acts of Prayer. Adoration, praising God for who he is, confession, admitting to God where I failed, thanksgiving, praising for God for what he has done, and supplication, or pouring out my heart and making requests, asking God for what I need. So typically, not every prayer is going to have all of those, but all of those are important parts of prayer. And he, is, he has not admitted this, he has not confessed, and he has not repented. So you think, what is God going to do about that? I know what I would do if I were God. <laughs> you know, it's like, you think, if, I were, if I were king or if I were God... You're going down, and you're going to continue to go down until you say uncle, until you tap out. Okay, you had enough? Had enough? Remember how we said God's merciful? He doesn't admit, Jonah doesn't admit he sinned. Jonah doesn't admit anything. He has this big flowery prayer, and so what does God do? He delivers him. Say, Lord, you should have caused more pain. Deliverance is our third scene. So we go from distress, and we see that the internal struggle to desperation and expression of prayer in God, even though this is not a perfect prayer, brings a scene of deliverance. It says that, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What a scene. I, I was trying to picture what it would be like for those guys off the coast of Massachusetts when they see their friend, you know, the, the humpback whale coming up, shaking its head, and spitting out their friend in front of them. That, that would have been 
like horrifying. And I'm not sure if anyone saw Jonah when he was spit out on the dry land, but I imagine he looked a mess. I've heard of people that have been, this has happened to, and other times, hair is all bleached out, you've got slime and goop all over you, you stink. And uh, you can imagine going into Nineveh like that, I think that might cause a revival. (laughs) (laughs) You think about an imperfect prayer, but we have a perfect God who is merciful and patient. He is patient. And he is a God of second chances. I don't care what you've done, how you've messed up, how bad a situation you find yourself in. He's a God of second chances. He's always ready to forgive. We all have our pits, our being in the belly of a fish. I read this a while ago. It was a little bit amusing. A man fell into a pit. We've all had our pits. And he couldn't get himself out. And so people walked by and saw the man in the pit. A sympathetic person came along and said, I feel for you down there in that pit. An objective person came along and said, I can see how someone would fall into that pit. A Pharisee stopped by and said, only bad people fall into a pit. Confucius follower, if you would have listened to me, you wouldn't have been in that pit. (laughs) The county inspector asked, did you get a permit to dig that pit? (laughs) The assessor wanted to know if he was paying taxes on his pit. A professor pulled up a chair and gave a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. The pessimist said, things will get worse. (laughs) Jesus came by, saw the man in the pit, took him by the hand, and lifted him out. He is the only one to bring deliverance to us, not just for your salvation, but for your life. And when you find yourself in a distressed situation, crying out to God, he is the only one. And really, this whole story of Jonah and every passage in this Old Testament is pointing to one person. Who is that? It's Jesus. And we read that in Matthew 12, 40. It says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's a bigger picture. There is a better message. And while Jonah just physically is buried in this, the belly of this great fish, Jesus died on a cross, was buried into the earth, and exploded out of the grave. And it wasn't for his sin, it was for ours. It was for ours. And this is what he points to. 
God shows mercy. For whoever calls, this is beautiful, with Jonah calling, his 911 call, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe that's speaking of salvation and much, much more. For his children especially, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this 911 call from the belly of the fish straight to God before we had 911. We've seen a scene of distress. We have seen a scene of desperation. And we have seen this scene finally of deliverance. Do you find yourself in these places? As I'm looking out to the people in this room, and I know most everybody here, I don't know everything about you, but I do know this, that you have felt that distress that makes you helpless and hopeless. And you have been in desperation where all you can do is cry out to the Lord. And you know what? Your prayer is not perfect. But the one to whom you pray is. And he delivers. And he will deliver. And out of your present crisis, he will deliver. He is the God of second chances. And you see God's kindness and grace and mercy all through this story, right along with his justice, always to advance his causes and for your good, always. Father, thank you for an incredible account of a man's life that we can so identify with in, in many, many ways. I pray that we'd walk away with that sense of awe of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.